0: This morning we will continue looking at the seventh and final day of the creation week as we continue to move across these Sabbath stepping stones that we began looking at last week. Let's begin by reading our passage together again this morning, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the words of the only true That he had done in creation. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy and infallible word. You may be seated. Well, last week we began talking about the seventh day of creation as we looked at the details of the seventh day in our passage. We looked at how God blessed the seventh day, how he made it holy how it was the day in which He entered into His eternal rest that never ended from His work of creation. And so, because the Sabbath is such an important theme in the Bible, we began to trace this Sabbath day across four stepping stones, the first being the Sabbath before the fall of mankind into sin and misery, Now, this morning, we're going to pick up where we left off and work our way through our second and our third stepping stones. Uh, We'll do so in two points this morning, our first point being our second stepping stone, the Sabbath from Adam to Moses, and our second point being the stepping stone of the Sabbath from Moses to Jesus. And next week, we will finish with our last stepping stone, the Christian Sabbath. So that is what we're going to labor to do this morning in our time together. And so let us go to the Lord in prayer first, asking for his help as we seek to do so. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning gathered together on this sabbath day to remember what your son has accomplished in the past in his life in his death in his resurrection and the to look forward to that eternal rest that he has purchased for us that we will one day enter into father we've gathered together to Worship you in anticipation of that and in preparation for it. We've gathered together to have you sanctify us, have you make us more like our husband, our king. We thank you that you have given us his mind, that you have filled us with his spirit, that you have given us ears to hear, hearts to believe and obey. So Father, we come to you this morning, you who have the words of eternal life, and ask that you would help us to see the purpose of this seventh day of creation in our passage this morning, not just in Genesis chapter 2, but also in the rest of Genesis. the life of the people of Israel. Father, help us to look forward to what it also means for us now between the first and second coming of our Savior. Father, we also want to lift up to you burdens that we see in our world and among us here. First of all, we want to lift up our Sister Kimberly and her father and their family, Father, we do ask that you would continue to sustain her father, to help him in his fight, to cause him to cling to your son, to trust, hope, and faith in him, to look beyond the horizon and the pains and the difficulties of this world. The glories that your son has purchased for him and the one to come. Father, we ask that you would help Kimberly and the family as they go through this time of life to likewise trust in you. Though their experience is painful, though their experience may bring many questions perhaps even doubts into their minds that they can look to you and in faith say that the God of all the earth is and will do what is right. And Father, as we think along those lines that you will do what is right, we can't help but to have our minds taken to the tragedies that we have seen, the acts of wickedness and evil that we have seen in buffalo and in texas over these last few weeks father we ask that you would bring grace and comfort into these communities and into these families lives and father that what has been meant for evil by these young men and what has been meant for evil by satan you would turn for good. And Father, we cannot understand these mysterious providences. We can only look to you in faith, trusting that you are doing what is right and that what men mean for evil, you are working for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. So, Father, we ask that you would use your people in these communities to give the answer that these communities need to hear for why these things happen and what is the solution for them. Father, give these communities ears to hear that the reason why these things happen is sin and rebellion against you and your ways and your commands. And that the solution for these tragedies and the, these acts of wickedness are repentance, faith in your son, and lives of obedient service to him. So, Father, we ask that in your grace and your kindness that it would flow in these communities, that it would bring comfort and healing to some wounds that will remain forever. Father, we turn our minds now back to our time together, and not just our own, but your people who are gathered in many different places throughout the world. Father, we lift up specifically Grace Chapel in Sanford, Florida, our sister church in the Reformed Baptist Network, as well as our brothers and sisters at Beaver Creek Baptist Church in West Jefferson. We ask that you would be with them this morning, that you would sanctify them, that you would cause them to grow in holiness and Christ's likeness. They would offer up to you worship in spirit and in truth that is acceptable and pleasing in your sight, and that they would live and humble, thankful obedience to you. Father, we also lift up our persecuted brothers and sisters. Today we lift up our brothers and sisters in China. We ask, Father, that you would sustain them and help them to continue to be bold in the proclamation of your gospel, that you would give them wisdom, that you would guide by your kind providences, their steps, their thoughts, their actions, that they would be fruitful. And Lord Jesus, as our King, we ask that you would multiply them, that you would grant through the preaching of your gospel, spiritual offspring, that your church there in China, your bride can nourish and and help to grow. Father, do this work among our brothers and sisters there in China. And Father, lastly, as we turn our attention now to your Sabbath day, to this seventh day of creation and what it has meant not only on the seventh day, but ever since, we ask that you would help us to understand this passage in light of all of your word and that these thoughts would be an encouragement to us, that they would be a source of sanctification and growth and holiness to us, and that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of it. And we ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. In the 1930s, Senator Dwight D. Dwight W. Morrow of New Jersey was boarding a train in New York City but he couldn't find his ticket and the senator was frustrated and he was anxiously searching through his pockets in his jacket and in his pants and he was murmuring to himself, I must find this ticket. The train conductor saw Senator Morrow and recognized him and seeing the familiar, frantically searching for the ticket, realizing that he couldn't find it, said to him, Mr. Morrow, don't worry about it. We know you had a ticket. When you find it, just mail it in to the railroad. To which Senator Morrow replied, that's not what's bothering me. I need to find it so that I know where I'm going. Well, this morning, as we continue to look at this seventh day of creation, I hope that by the end of our time together today, you will see how the Sabbath has always been somewhat like that ticket that Senator Morrow was searching for, not a ticket that gets us onto the train of eternal Sabbath rest because Christ has purchased that for us. We cannot purchase that ticket ourselves. He knows us. We are His sheep. We are His bride, the ones He's laid down His life for. He holds us fast. His righteousness, His obedience is what has purchased our eternal rest. And our Savior is going to see to it that we will arrive at that destination. So the Sabbath isn't like that, but rather the Sabbath has always functioned for God's people as a reminder of that destination, a reminder of where they currently are because of what God has done and where they one day will be, where they are going, also because of what God has done. So let's begin this morning continuing our walk across our Sabbath stepping stones. By way of reminder, last week we looked at our first Sabbath stepping stone by looking at the Sabbath before the fall of Adam and Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we looked at what the Sabbath was to Adam. We looked at the fact that it was more than just a day that God had rested from His work of creation because God doesn't need rest. So since the Sabbath was made for man, the Sabbath for Adam, as he looked to image His creator set out a pattern and a goal for Adam, a pattern to image God in working six days and resting and worshiping one, pattern to be performed until his work that he had been given by his creator was done, pattern to follow until he had passed this time of probation as we talked about last week at which point Adam and all mankind would partake of the tree of life and enter into that eternal Sabbath rest of confirmed righteousness, unchangeable righteousness, eternal sinless life. This was the goal from the very beginning, eternal eschatological life. As we noted last week, you can't see all of this in Genesis 1 through 3, but we shouldn't expect to see all of that in Genesis 1 through 3 any more than we were able to see all of the things we talked about and the other themes that we've looked at so far in Genesis, like light and darkness. We saw how those things were developed and how they grew and matured throughout Scripture. Also creation out of water, by word and spirit into new creation. We saw how that grew and developed and flowered on into Scripture, and just like that, just like we couldn't see those things in Genesis one through three, we shouldn't expect to see all of these things that we're talking about concerning the Sabbath there either. However, because we believe that all of the Bible is inspired by God, and because we don't isolate one section of Scripture from other sections of the Bible, but rather we look at all of the Bible to help us understand one particular part of the Bible. And as we do this, we look at later revelation to help us understand earlier revelation because this is the correct way of reading and understanding the scriptures. These things we are talking about concerning the Sabbath and these other themes are found in Genesis 1 and 2, not in full flower, but in seed form. And so what we are doing in going through these stepping stones is to look throughout the rest of Scripture to see how these seeds grow and mature until they reach their goal, their full flower in the person and work of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And so as we're going through these stepping stones, there may be times when you're having a hard time connecting these things together. And so, if that's the case, here at the beginning, I want to give you a ticket. One like Senator Morrow had. A ticket that you can pull out and look at to help you remember where we're going with these Sabbath stepping stones. Are you ready for the ticket? All right, here it is. The Sabbath has always been a reminder of what God has accomplished in the past, and a picture of what's coming in the future. This is the ticket that ties all of these stepping stones together. The Sabbath has always been a reminder of what God has accomplished in the past and a picture of what's coming in the future. So in relation to our first stepping stone, the Sabbath before the fall, it was a reminder of God's creating in six days and resting one, And a picture of the eternal rest that Adam could enter into if he passed his probationary work. A rest like God's. A rest with no evening, no morning. Well, Now that we've looked back at our first Sabbath stepping stone, let's move on to our first point today and look at our second stepping stone, the Sabbath from Adam to Moses. Now, admittedly, the Sabbath from Adam to Moses is the most difficult stepping stone that we're going to look at. Because when you read the book of Genesis, there is no discussion of the Sabbath after our passage this morning in Genesis 2. Not until, it will not appear again explicitly until you get to Exodus chapter 16. Nothing explicit in Genesis in the lives of Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, or the 12 patriarchs, nothing until after the exodus event. Now, at first consideration, this could lead us to conclude that after the fall of Adam, the Sabbath did not exist until the Mosaic Covenant was instituted at Mount Sinai. And we do have many brothers and sisters that do come to this conclusion, but the doctrine of our church has come to a different conclusion. We understand it in a different way. And so let me give you the reasons why, why we do believe that the Sabbath existed from Adam to Moses. First of all, we come to this conclusion because of what we've already talked about. The Sabbath was made holy by God on the seventh day, as we can see in our passage today. That did not change after the fall. The seventh day did not become unholy after the fall of mankind into sin and misery. After the fall, the Sabbath was still the holy day of the week. What Adam and Eve did at the tree of knowledge of good and evil did not undo what God had done in the seventh day of creation. The Sabbath was still the holy day. It was still a picture. It still remained a picture of eternal Sabbath rest. The issue that the fall of mankind brought into play was how now is sinful man going to enter into this eternal Sabbath rest? He can't do it on the terms that Adam had because they failed. They couldn't enter into it by the work that God gave Adam to do because they sinned and God required perfection in order to enter into his rest and they had sinned and fallen short of it. Now because they failed, if mankind was going to enter into eternal Sabbath rest, he was going to need a new Adam. He was going to need a second Adam, someone else that could represent him. He needed a new, sinless son of God who could perfectly obey and purchase and earn the eternal Sabbath rest for him. And as we will see when we get to Genesis 3.15, God makes just such a promise, a promise of redemption for mankind's failure At the tree. So, as we are thinking about the Sabbath, while it is true that sin messed everything up, it did not change the fact that the seventh day was holy or the fact that it laid out for mankind a picture of eternal rest from the work given to him. Now, if the day was still holy and the picture of what it meant is still there, and mankind, even after the fall, was still required to image his creator, all of which is true, then of course the Sabbath existed from Adam to Moses. Our second reason for believing that the Sabbath command was in effect from Adam to Moses, even in the absence of it being talked about in the book of Genesis, is because mankind has always had an obligation to worship his creator. No one doubts this. No believer doubts that mankind from the sixth day of creation on has had a moral obligation to worship his creator. And so now, as with everything we've looked at, as we've been going through the creation week, God is the determiner in chief. God is the one who determines the order of things. God is the one who determines the meaning of things. God is the one who determines the purpose of things. And this fact does not change when we come to the question of how must mankind worship his creator? How must he fulfill this obligation given to him? God must decide for mankind what acceptable worship is. Worship must be given to the Creator in a manner in which the Creator chooses, in a manner in which He commands for it to be given to Him. And so when we ask and think about this question in regards to Adam and Eve and all those who would worship God from Adam to Moses, when we ask the question, when were they supposed to set aside their normal labors and worship their Creator? The obvious answer is, on the day of God made holy. So with Adam and Eve imaging God in this cycle of six days of work and one day of rest, it's obvious that the seventh day is the day of worship. The day established here in the very beginning and continuing from Adam to Moses. And our confidence about this, that this is the case, should only be strengthened by the fact that when God delivers Israel from slavery and commands them, his people, to worship him and rest, that he doesn't pick just some random day. But he commands worship to be given to him on the seventh day, just as it had been since creation. Our third reason for believing that the Sabbath was in effect from Adam to Moses is that the events of Exodus chapter 16 happened before Exodus chapter 20. Now, why do I bring this obvious point up? Exodus 16 comes before Exodus 20. Duh. Well, I bring it up because in Exodus 16, the people of Israel are commanded to rest on the seventh day as a Sabbath to the God who had redeemed them From slavery in Egypt and was providing manna for them in the wilderness. Now, this is significant because it shows that before God gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and before the Sabbath becomes a sign of the Mosaic covenant, before these things happened, God required it. God used it to set a pattern for his people of work. And rest. And because this is true, there's no reason to think that people from Adam to Moses who were redeemed by faith in the promised offspring of Eve and Abraham would not have also observed this pattern of six days of labor and one day of rest as they imaged their Creator. A fourth and final reason is that in Exodus 20... Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. I want you to see something there in a minute. In Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, Moses, recording the Ten Commandments, begins the fourth commandment by instructing Israel to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The instruction to remember shows that the Sabbath day has already existed. This is obvious because you can't remember something that hasn't already been around. However, given what we've already talked about, we could say that because the Sabbath command appeared in Exodus 16 in the wilderness, that Moses is commanding them to remember that. Remember how God commanded you to rest, to not gather manna on the Sabbath day in the wilderness when you were on your way to Mount Sinai. And this undoubtedly is included in how Moses is instructing Israel, but it's only part of the larger whole. And we know that it's only part of the larger whole because when Moses gives the fourth commandment, he doesn't ground it in the wilderness manna commandment. He doesn't show that its foundation is in that wilderness manna commandment, but rather in Exodus 20 verse 11, we can read that Moses grounds this seventh commandment, or I'm sorry, this fourth commandment in the seventh day of creation. Turn And if you're in Exodus 20 already, look in verse 11, where God says concerning the fourth commandment, for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So we can see that the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy is explicitly tied to God making this day holy at creation. Now, if this is the case, which it is, then then what God writes on the tablets of stone in the fourth commandment doesn't come into existence at Mount Sinai, but it had already been in existence where God is pointing for them to remember. It's been in existence since the seventh day of creation. Now, if all of that is true, then of course the Sabbath existed from Adam to Moses because there were people between Adam and Moses that believed the promises of God. There were people from Adam to Moses who obeyed God's commands, who lived for His glory, who sought to worship Him in a manner pleasing to Him, Abel. Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, all of these are named in Hebrews chapter 11 for this very reason that they had faith in the promises of God and sought to worship him. And so the question remains, why don't we see the Sabbath after the seventh day of creation in Genesis? Why don't we see it until Exodus 16? And what I would like to propose to you is that because the exodus of Israel from slavery in Egypt was the main redemptive event of the Old Testament, and because the Sabbath is a sign pointing to eternal life, it makes sense that it begins to be emphasized and that it would show up after the main redemptive historical event. But this doesn't mean that the Sabbath And Sabbath-keeping didn't exist before the Exodus event because we must remember, as we've talked about, what is the purpose of Genesis? Genesis is a book written for the purpose of providing these slaves who had been redeemed and delivered from slavery in Egypt. Genesis is a book providing them a record of their history, where they came from. How God had brought them to where they are, and how it all began with God creating in six days and resting on the seventh. And since they are the first people hearing and reading Genesis, since they are the first people having Genesis applied to them, this history from Adam to Moses is immediate for them. They aren't wondering where the Sabbath is from Adam to Moses, they see it in Genesis 1, and since they are are a kind of new creation having been delivered from slavery, then they, like Adam, as a son of God, are to image God in working six and resting one, not just until they entered the promised land of Canaan, but until they entered the true promised land of eternal rest, of which Canaan was a picture. So as we think about this, we can pull out our ticket, And remember that the Sabbath has always been a reminder of what God has accomplished in the past and a picture of what's coming in the future. So in relation to this second stepping stone, the Sabbath from Adam to Moses, is a reminder of God's creating in six days and resting in one and a picture of the eternal rest that Adam failed to attain, but that they could enter into by faith in God's promises, a rest like God's with no evening and no morning. Let's move on now from this most difficult stepping stone to see the easiest one, the Sabbath from Moses to Jesus. As we just talked about, of course, the Sabbath from Moses to Jesus is the easiest to see, it's the easiest to grasp, it's the easiest to understand because Genesis was written for the people of the Exodus. Genesis was written for the people in the Mosaic Covenant, for the people who received the explicit Sabbath command at Mount Sinai. But when you think about this and you put yourself in their shoes, when they read Genesis 1 through 3, of course they saw their Sabbath command in light of what we've been talking about in the seventh day of creation. So right here at the very beginning of the second point, the Sabbath from Moses to Jesus, I want to emphasize that while the Sabbath does play a unique role in the life of the people of Israel in the Mosaic Covenant, while that is true, it is also true that it was not disconnected from the Sabbath of our other two stepping stones. The Sabbath from Moses to Jesus is intimately connected with the Sabbath from, Abraham, from Adam to Moses. It's intimately connected with the Sabbath before the fall. And as we'll see next week, it's intimately connected with the Christian Sabbath. I say this because I want it to be clear in our minds as we progress that like the other themes that we've looked at, the Sabbath is organically connected through these different periods of time in redemptive history. Here in our passage in Genesis 2, the Sabbath is pregnant with meaning. The seventh day of the creation week is pregnant. Using the language of Hebrews 4, the Sabbath began on the seventh day of creation as a promise of entering into eternal rest, but since the fall of mankind into sin and misery, it has served as a reminder of that same promise. But now, because of the fall, the fulfillment of that promise has required on and depended on a promise of redemption that we're going to see when we get to Genesis chapter 3. So as Hebrews 4 says, the promise of entering into God's rest has stood from the seventh day of creation. Before the fall of mankind into sin, the promise hinged on the obedience of the first Adam. Since the fall of mankind into sin, it is hinged on the promise of, of the second Adam on the promise of his obedient life. This was true all the way from Adam to Moses, and now this in our third stepping stone continues to stand from Moses to Jesus. Well, with that being said, it's also true that the Sabbath did play a unique role in the life of the people of Israel. It did so because God had delivered them from their slavery in Egypt, the great act of redemption. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 5 is explicit about this. You can see it in Deuteronomy 5 when Moses is reminding all Israel about the Ten Commandments. He speaks about the Sabbath day and says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath day was a reminder for Israel, a day for them to look back, to remember what God had done for them, to remember their deliverance from slavery. But for Moses to Christ, it was more than just a day of remembrance. In the Mosaic covenant, it was also a sign of that covenant that God made with them after he delivered them. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. It'll make it easier for you to see than me just reading it to you. I think I may have said Exodus 13. I meant Exodus 31. So turn to Exodus chapter 31. (coughs) Beginning in verse 13, God says to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So again, notice here as you look at this passage in Exodus 31, you can see it at the end of verse 16 and the beginning of verse 17. The Sabbath is a covenant and a sign between Israel and the God who delivered them and redeemed them from slavery. You can see at the end of verse 17 that it serves as a sign of God's act of working six days and resting on the seventh in creation. And this fact ties together the Sabbath of creation through the Sabbath from Adam to Moses, and the Sabbath from Moses to Christ. Yes, it did serve a unique purpose in Israel as a sign of their covenant that God had made with them, but the covenant that God made with them, like these Sabbath stepping stones that we are walking across, they are it is organically connected to what God did in the beginning. Brothers and sisters, we must not think of Israel as something distinct from what God has been doing in the history of redemption. Israel was not plan B in God's plan of salvation. The church is not plan C. And God is not doing something unique with the Gentiles now, and once he's done with us, he's going to rapture the church out of the world and then go back to plan B and deal with Israel. O beloved, Israel is part of the redemptive work of God in the history of mankind since the fall. Redemptive history is not divided up into different dispensations that are walled off from each other, hermetically sealed from one another, but rather the history of redemption is organically connected and growing through different periods of times, through different covenants. And just as a weekly Sabbath rest was a time for Adam and Eve to rest and worship God and remember the promise of hope of each entering into God's eternal rest, so too in Israel it was a remembrance of that promise that Adam failed to attain, but that God had promised a seed of the woman Eve who would come and by defeating the seed of the serpent would win that eternal rest promised in the garden for all those who by faith would enter into his rest." And we know that the mistake of unbelieving and unfaithful Israel was to look at the commandments of God not as this picture of eternal rest that they must receive by faith, but instead they looked at it as something to keep in order to earn their righteousness, in order to curry favor with God. We can hear this very thing in the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 9 when he says, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the Mosaic Covenant, far from being some plan B, was an integral stepping stone in the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Eve in the garden after they failed to enter into that eternal Sabbath rest that the seventh day of creation pictures. The promise that God gave to Eve's offspring, He also gave to Abraham that an offspring would come from Him that would bless all the nations of the earth. So as we're thinking about this and putting, hopefully being able to put some of these things together The Apostle Paul, in Galatians chapter 3, turn there with me. The Apostle Paul gives us an infallible interpretation of the Mosaic Covenant as a whole. Galatians chapter 3, as we're wrapping up this third stepping stone, dealing with the Sabbath from Moses to Christ. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, the Apostle Paul interprets the Mosaic Covenant as a whole for us. He says, beginning in verse 16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say unto offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So when Paul is speaking of the law here in this passage coming 430 years afterwards, he is speaking of the Mosaic covenant and saying that it did not replace, it did not annul the promise that God gave to Abraham concerning one of his offspring. And so the question that came to Paul's mind and the question he assumed would come to these Galatians' minds was why then was the law added to this promise? Why was the Mosaic covenant added to the Abrahamic covenant? And Paul begins his answer in verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until... The offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So we can see from this passage that the Mosaic covenant was added to the Abrahamic covenant because of the sinfulness of the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because of the sins of the people of Israel, the Mosaic covenant was added. It did not replace the promise made to Abraham, but it was like a fence that you put around a growing tree or a growing plant to keep the animals from destroying it. It was added to protect the promise. But from the very beginning, the Mosaic covenant, we can see it in this passage in Galatians, was never intended to last forever as God's plan B. You can see it in verse 19 where Paul says that the law was added until... offspring who he identified earlier as Christ should come. The Mosaic covenant was added until Christ came so that God's promise would be given to those who believed in his promises by faith and not who sought his favor by works of the law because that became unfruitful when Adam and Eve sinned at the tree. And so this fact, this promise is going to lead us into our last stepping stone that we're going to look at next week, the Christian Sabbath. So as we close today and prepare to enter into a time of reflection as we've considered these Sabbath stepping stones these last two weeks, and we're going to finish next week, as you're reflecting on our time together today and you're trying to put these things together, I know many of them may be new for you, Beloved, I hope that you will pull out that ticket, that reminder, and be encouraged that our God, who promised eternal rest in the garden, if Adam would obey, has accomplished it in the redemptive work of his son. That is the ticket that ties all of these stepping stones together. Brothers and sisters, what we see God entering into on the seventh day of creation, that eternal day with no morning or evening, has been purchased for you by the precious blood of your Savior. Reflect on that this morning. Not just that your Savior bled and died for you, but that your Savior bled and died for you so that you would have that eternal rest with Him in glory. The beauty of what we are learning as we are looking at these Sabbath stepping stones is that our Savior purchased this not just for us, but for all of those who by faith have believed in the promises of God from Adam to Moses, from Moses to Christ, and as we will see next week from Christ's first coming until his second coming. And now for any unbelievers among us this morning as you hear these things this morning I know that they are foolishness to you. That you hear these things and wonder why in the world people would listen to a man talk about something that happened in the beginning in a garden and something that continued. And I pray that the Holy Spirit is using these things that we've talked about to give you a longing for that eternal rest. But, friend, be warned that that eternal rest is only attained by faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot earn it by being a good person, You cannot earn it by doing good things. friend. eternal rest was bought with a price, and that price was the perfect life and precious blood of Jesus Christ. And God has promised to give it to only those who believe in that promise. And in the promises that we've been talking about this morning, God will give eternal rest to everyone. Who will repent of their sins and believe in the promise of the seed of the woman, of the offspring of Abraham, who we know to be Jesus Christ? So, unbelieving friend among us this morning, let us reason together. Aren't you tired of sin? Aren't you tired of being weary? Don't you want rest? from labor and the wearisomeness and the burdens of this world? Aren't you tired of having God's wrath loom over you? You must come to your senses and realize that those who do not enter into eternal rest through Jesus Christ will enter into eternity when they die. But it will be eternal torment and hell. Friend, don't you want to lose your fear of death and the grave? Don't you want victory over it? What I tell you today isn't something new. It's been true since the Garden of Eden. It's been true since the Mosaic Covenant. It's been true since the cross of Jesus Christ. If you will repent of your sins and look to Jesus Christ, believing that He purchased eternal rest for you believing that he purchased redemption and salvation and the forgiveness of your sins in his life death and resurrection if you will look to christ in faith in that way then you too will have eternal rest let's pray our father in heaven I ask, Father, that you would show yourself strong in my weaknesses this morning. Father, I am aware of them more sharply, perhaps, this morning than other mornings. And I ask, Father, that you would glorify yourself, that you would cause your people, to hear of the promise of eternal rest and be encouraged to continue to believe in your promises, cling to the seed of the woman, the offspring of Abraham, continue to cling to your son, trusting in what he has accomplished to attain to that. Father, for the unbelievers among us, plead that you would take this offer of eternal rest that is held out to them that they would hear the command that repentance and faith is not an option but that it is commanded of them that they would come to you and offer it to you that you would grant to them rest and life eternal. Father, please help us as we reflect on these things for a few moments, as we seek to see how these stepping stones are tied together. Father, help us to grow in our faith, Help us to grow in our knowledge and cause that to be nourishment for our souls. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.